you are listening to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. Integrity, commitment, kindness, and flexibility are at the core of Cambridge's values and drive the spirit of Cambridge. Join our host, Cambridge CEO Amy Weber, for each Cambridge Stronger episode as she invites financial professionals to offer insight on how they integrate values and purpose in their care for their investing clients. You'll hear stories on how they got their start, as well as why they are in the advice profession. Now here's Amy. Welcome to Cambridge Stronger. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is a founding partner and senior wealth advisor at Newport Advisory, Jim Raggetts. Thank you for joining us today, Jim. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Very excited to share with our audience your story. And we're going to start off with a really, really important question before we get into the question about your journey. I'd like you to choose one song to play every time you walk into a room for the rest of your life. What song would you choose and why? This is a tough question because I love music, particularly classic rock. And so there's so many options of things that I think I would go. But if I had to play for the rest of my life would be Lose Yourself by Eminem. Just a song that's motivated me at many times over the last, I don't know, 20 years. Fantastic. You're right. I would never have guessed that. And I'm going to have to go and listen to it again just to remind myself why you might have chose that as your theme song. So that's awesome. So let's jump into some inspiration. And what we try to do with this podcast is spend a little bit of time inspiring others who might be considering this honorable profession of yours as they decide what they might want to do with their lives, whether that's next gen or even second career, especially today, right? There's a lot of people that may essentially be making changes in their life post-COVID. So share with us your journey, how you got started in the profession and how you got to where you are today. Oh gosh, it's, that's going to be a long, a long answer, I'm afraid. But I was probably one of those unique people that knew what they wanted to do from an early, an early stage. My father was always, you know, very much into his finances, and so we talked about it. So from a point in time of high school on, I was kind of interested. One of my uncles was a stockbroker way back in the day at E.F. Hutton and then Smith Barney. And so it just was kind of in our family a little bit. And, and then my dad had a, a financial planner back way back in the 70s before financial planning was really even much of an industry. So I got to spend a little time with this other gentleman. And so when I went to college, there wasn't financial planning degrees or any of those things. So I just took classes in investments and real estate and finance. Then graduated at 21, I started looking for a job and didn't realize that nobody wanted to hire a 21-year-old to, <laughs> to be a financial advisor, but I finally did find, find a firm to hire me and went to work for them. And it ended up being just an, an amazing start to my career. It was the right place for me to be. I got some incredible training, you know, got lucky early on and was able to succeed. It was an insurance company, BD, but I didn't realize at the time that they actually wanted me to do anything with insurance. <laughs> I was there for about 10 years, the first three or four as an advisor and got some early success and then moved into management and kind of ran up the scale and then became a regional vice president for the Los Angeles area and recruited and trained and hired. And, and then after about 10 years, and I've kind of realized that maybe that company's motivations weren't exactly in line with what I wanted to do for our clients. And so at that time, I'm now in my early thirties, I left and started my path on Newport advisory. And so that's been going on since 
the mid nineties. And then I found Cambridge in 1999 and the rest kind of is history. And so we've kind of evolved the firm and originally it was just me and we kind of grew that and maybe six, seven years ago started doing acquisitions and, and now we've grown to, you know, a firm of pretty decent size. Absolutely. Congratulations on that success. So looking back, maybe in the earlier stages of that career, what was the best advice that you ever got from someone? Oh, gosh, there's been so many mentors and people in my life over that time. You know, the one that pops to mind is an early, an early, I guess, manager of mine. And he's told me, you know, particularly in interactions with people, he said, you, know, you need to really learn how to respond and not react. And so I've kind of taken that to heart over the years. And so I think I've become very good at trying to not react to people's comments or, you know, or anything. And I just learned to kind of listen better, take that in, and then figure out how I'm going to respond in a way that's going to allow them to meet their objectives and me to meet their objectives without, you know, getting caught up into the, you know, the nuances of that conversation. That's a great point. People naturally are going to get emotional when you're talking about something as critical as their money and their financial goals. So that is very likely a really great piece of advice any of our listeners, regardless of whether they're starting or in the middle or even near the end of their career, uh, can get value from. So you've mentioned a couple of times as we talked about your journey, a little bit about transitioning into the independent entrepreneurial environment. Tell us what you believe are the biggest benefits of being truly independent and running your own business. There's a, there's a number of them. I mean, and I've said this to people we've worked with over the years, you know, one is that having that autonomy is, is huge, you know, and for me, it was that if I truly wanted to be able to run my practice and my company with my values, I needed to be able to find some place where I could line up with people who had similar values and have it to be my choice. You know, as I mentioned with the firm I was at, you know, right out of school, you know, they, they talked a very good game and the, you know, we kind of drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, but, you know, as you get into it, you realize that it's not in alignment. And so being independent, you get the choice to pick where you want to be. You know, it's one of the reasons I've been with Cambridge for so long is that your values line up with mine. And, you know, now we're, 20 years plus down the line, but, you know, to the extent that my values don't line up with you or you don't line up with me, we don't have to do that together. And, you know, but that's, that's, so that's one of the big things. The practice management piece is also very huge. You know, as, as each of us are independent, we want to do things our own way. When you're at a big firm, they have kind of one or two ways that you're supposed to do things and you don't have that ability. But when you're out there as a more of an independent person, you're entrepreneurial in nature, you need that, you, know, you need that consulting about, you know, how, how are you going to do this? How are you going to run this firm and be profitable and be successful? And, you know, having that as a backup is, is, is huge for me. The business aspect of compliance is another one is that, you know, many, many firms are just very rigid, you know, in how they do things and not to say that we need to, you know, we want to be flying by the seat of our pants because we don't, but there's a, there's a business aspect of things too. And there's some areas that are very gray and in those areas, you, you want to figure out a way to do it best way, not just have the most conservative, you know, answer there. So having a, you know, a business approach to the compliance side is, is, is absolutely huge. So those are probably the first three things that maybe popped in my head. 
Yeah, those are those are great points. A core value of flexibility comes out in almost every one of them. So yep. it, it clearly makes sense. Now, you have a bit of a dual role. You make a difference in a lot of different lives and in a lot of different aspects with your business. You are a financial advisor for clients, for the investing clients. And then you also have made a big difference in a lot of lives of other financial professionals as you've mentored and groomed some of them. So separating them a little bit, let's talk about your investing clients first. How important is it to you to make sure that your clients are able to live their life's passion? And how do you get them to share with you what that is so that you can drive them in the right direction so that they can actually have a fulfilling life and meet their goals? You know, Helping somebody get to what their their passions are, their you know those goals is is really what we do. You know, yeah, you've got to be good in the, the the financial side of what we what we're about and understand the technical side. But you know, at the end of the day, people have an emotional connection to their money, and that that money is going to ultimately lead them into you know the the things they want to do: retire early, or travel, or be with their grandkids, or pass money to the kids. You know, at some point, so. It is absolutely vital. And I spend more of my time there than I do, you know, in the other aspects. I mean, I've been blessed enough where we have, you know, some staff that can help me with some of the back room things. So, you know, I can spend more of my time interacting with clients and helping them connect with that. To me, it's not that difficult because I think there's a couple of things first. One is that you've you got to have the makeup to really want to connect with people. You know, you've got to want to really truly care about them and understand like what they're trying to do. Because if you, if you don't if you don't have that to start with, you're not going to none of it's going to happen. But to me, it's always asking a lot of questions, you know, and just spending a lot of time understanding the you know, the history, not just of the last couple of years, but, you know, really going back. And a lot of our clients have become successful in, in business or in, a lot of our clients are in the entertainment business. So, you know, trying to hear their path, kind of what you asked me earlier and hearing that path, you know, you kind of start to see the struggles and the, and the obstacles that were put in their, in their way. And then ultimately, as you start to get them to dream a little bit, that's where you start to unpack some of that. And it's, it's interesting because most clients have preconceived ideas of when I ask them questions, like, you know, where do you see yourself down the line? They've already kind of gone through this mental exercise where they've limited themselves and so a lot of it is trying to like pull that stuff away you know they if they think they can't buy that vacation home on the beach or what have you you know they don't bring that up so we, you know we go through some some of our silly questions but they're things to kind of hopefully get them just to to think and start to reopen and then you know and i just make sure they understand that like let let me figure out if the math works or not i need you just to to do that. And so, and ultimately it's just listening, you know, that first couple, that first meeting in particular, I just, I should talk a lot, you know, it's easy as, you know, at the end of the day, I guess we're all salespeople to some extent. And, you know, I just, I can't let me talk. If I do, I'm not going to hear. And if I don't hear, I'm not going to get to those points. Great point. Absolutely. Do you ever have to be the bad guy? Do you have to tell them no sometimes? How, how does that work when you have to tell a client that, you know, perhaps they sh this isn't the right time for them to invest in that dream house or things like that? How do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, I mean, we do. I don't, I don't know if I have to come across as the bad guy because they're almost every one of our clients we do some level of planning for. And so we're very, our plans are very cash flow driven. And so, 
as we're running through that with a client, I mean, they, they kind of know that stuff. They're, they're kind of, it's kind of coming in. And, you know, if they, if they call and say, you know, I was in Hawaii and I want to buy a condo and, you know, we, we jump in and see if we can figure out a way to make it work, but it, you know, life, we have limited resources. I don't care how much you have. We all have, you know, some, some finite number and then it's about choices, you know? And so I, I generally don't try to say no, but I try to present them an alternative. For instance, if you want to buy that condo in Hawaii, that's fine, but you know, you're probably going to need to push retirement back a couple of years to put, make that work. You're going to need a couple more years of working. You know, so if I can position in a way where it's really their decision, it's not me saying no, then I think then it's not, I don't come across as the bad guy there. Absolutely. How about generational planning? Do you spend any time focusing on trying to get your clients' children and grandchildren involved in the process? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's something that's been a focus for the last three or four years of, for us is to make sure that we bring the kids and grandkids in because a lot of them are doing gifting anyways, you know, some level. I mean, it could be smaller or larger amounts. And where that money goes, we see it as an opportunity then to train that next generation or even the, the generation down behind that. I was smart enough early on to realize that I shouldn't be the one talking to those kids though. And so I bring in one of my millennial advisors to work with me and let them kind of interact with them more on the planning side and just kind of managing the relationship. But I generally jump in at part of the process just to kind of talk about the investing process because I think it's kind of important for them to, you know, kind of understand that a bit. And so, so I jump in a little bit there just in the initial stages of the investment, but then I let one of my millennial advisors kind of take it and kind of run with it. And they just keep me apprised so I can keep mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, you know, apprised of what's happening. So, because that wealth transfer is going to happen at some stage and I'd much rather be the person in line, you know, to get that than for it to go to Robin Hood or some, some other place. Outside observation is you've done a really great job building an organization that does embrace that diversity. And I do believe it's a competitive advantage, whether it's generational, gender, ethnicity, whatever it may be. So let's shift a little bit on that note into the side of your life where you have spent some time in your career long before Cambridge managing and coaching and advising others. I know you well enough to know there's a natural teacher often that comes out in you as you're working with people. Tell us, tell the audience a little bit about what it means to you to be able to make a difference in the lives of those financial professionals that choose to work with your organization as you try to mentor them into becoming great financial planners and, and financial professionals. You know, the way I look at it, it's not really that much different than it is with the way I approach a client. You know, going back to that issue of, of passion, my clients are trying to, you know, get to their passions, you know, again, retire or grandkids or charitable work or whatever it's going to be. But where I find if I can find the right advisor that I'm going to work with a little bit, they've got to have that similar passion. You know, they've got to want to do it that way, you know, be able to be, build deep relationships, do solid fundamental planning. But and if they've got that same passion, you know, it lines up very well with what we do. And so my role there is to kind of help them 
achieve their passion, which is helping people. And so if I can kind of get them there, it, but most of it's just the, I'm trying to take my 30 plus years of experience. And it's so hard to say, say that, you know, I was always the millennial way back when. And We're not that old. We oh, are the next generation. I know. I know. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a matter of trying to take that experience and it's the little things uh, like the comment I made earlier about learning to respond and not react. You know, there's this things that when you're younger, you just don't know yet. You know, it's, it, you can be book smart and know all the technical answers, but you know, at the end of the day, it's a people business. It's all about, you know, relationships and us managing that. And, and I think I'm pretty good at that aspect of it. And so those are the kind of things I need to help them kind of work through and the question about how do you get to the passions and asking those questions or, you know, even in the planning side, it's, it's making sure that you truly understand the depth of the financial complexity people, people have, you know, um, and so it's, it's really, again, like I said, it's very much like working with our clients. It's about trying to connect them to those passions and then trying to show them the path to get there. And that generally takes, you know, years, you know, to get them there. And, uh, you know, I think we've been decently successful at it. We often refer to that around here as culture counts and values matter most. So if you have those in place and then you just start peeling the onion or unpacking the types of lessons and, and things that they need to learn. And you're right, it does take time. And maybe that's one of the obstacles to some extent that young people perceive of our business. It's fulfilling once you've started to figure out how you're making a difference, right? So. How are you personally, Jim, living a fulfilling life? What is it that creates fulfillment for you today in your life? You know, it's funny because there's this theme, you know, that we've been, we're kind of talking about and it's, it's going to those passions. You know, I've, I've utilized number of coaches, you know, within Cambridge, outside of Cambridge. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time kind of blueprinting, you know, my own life and what things are important to me. And so, you know, I've gotten myself to the point where that's where I spend my time. I mean, even though I've been around a long time, my kids are still, you know, in high school and very involved in sports and, you know, and my, my focus now has been them and trying to launch them in life and make sure that works. And, you know, I have other things in my life that I want to do too. And, you know, there's things that I, you know, just really enjoy, but I've, I've spent time to make sure I understand those. I mean, it's photography, it's design and real estate and it's other things that I just have a lot of fun doing. And so, you know, I just make sure I'm connected to my own passions, you know, and if I don't, there, there was a time in my life where I just worked endlessly and I don't think that accomplished a lot. I mean, yes, we got more successful and made more money, but you know, you get burned out, you get tired and you know, I don't think you're as good as a, a good as a person, a good of a parent, good of a, you know, partner, whatever you want to, however you want to, you know, measure that. But, but understanding those on my own end has been really important. So I spend a lot more time not working. Tell us about your kids and when are you most proud of them? What are they, you know, what are their passions thus far? And I would be really fascinated to know if you could give us a sense of what do your kids say when somebody asks them what dad does? <laughs> That's great. Actually, I know exactly what they would both say. They both say the same thing and they wouldn't even think about it. If you ask them what I did, they say my dad solves problems. That is awesome. And it, is that because you have taught them that over the years or do they come up with that from just observing or both? You know, I'd say it's them asking some questions because, you know, 
our my life does not fit into a eight to five box. You know, people call and you know, I'll, I'll excuse myself depending on the client, the situation, and you know, and they'll you know, from the time the kids were younger, it was you know, who was that, Daddy? You know, and then you tell them, oh, it was you know, so and so client, and and then why are they calling you at night? <laughs> so it's you know, I was helping them solve a problem, and they just picked up on that over time, and. You know, and so that's what they do. They, you know, as they've gotten older, they realize, you know, some of the, the detail behind it. But yeah, for a long time, that's what's what they would say. They still would just that my dad solves problems. That's great. So what are their names? Tell us, tell us about them. My son is Trey. He is 15. He's a very large child. He's uh, 6'1", 210 as a sophomore in high school. And he is uh, extremely bright. You know, pretty much a straight A kind of a student. And with his size, he plays football and he's a, a de- defensive end on, on our high school football team. And he's, he's pretty good. He was the freshman defensive MVP last year and he, he's moving up to varsity. If we actually have games, we'll, we'll find out soon enough. I'm, I'm really proud of him because things were not easy for him, just more socially. And he was not good in sports kind of growing up and you know soccer didn't really work out and baseball didn't really work out and you know then he found football and as much as his mom and i didn't want him out there banging heads with other kids you know that was his thing and he's you know but he had to really work his way through that you know over the years and and now it's kind of paying off for him and he, he's put he's put in the effort so you know i'm proud of kind of how he's been able to do that my daughter is emily she's they're 15 months apart so she's just going to become a freshman in high school this year She's also a very good athlete. She plays club soccer and will be playing on the, the high school team this year. She's also a really good student, straight A's. So I've been very lucky with both of my kids because both of them have pretty much steered clear of trouble and are good students and good athletes and still like to hang out with their dad enough that, uh, that it, it works out. That's the most important part, right? Yeah. Scary for you is Emily seems to be picking up my personality. So there might be another one of us uh, coming down the pipeline at some point. Well, that's what I was just going to ask. So either one of them showing any interest in following in dad's footsteps? My son, I don't think so. He's he's probably more of an engineer type. I mean, I think there's roles that he doesn't understand yet and what I do that would make sense. And for instance, he could be in our portfolio management team as a research person or something. I think he would probably enjoy something like that. My daughter seems to to show a little more interest in it, but you know, she's only 14 and I'm in my late 50s, so I don't know where exactly those those paths will cross over. So we'll see. I don't plan to retire anytime in the near future. So, you know, at least working through college. So if they show some interest, I might stick around a little bit. Actually, one of my nephew has come to work for us as an intern. So there might be a regets in there in the long run anyways. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But it's fun to at least have some family there. And But if my kids showed interest, I definitely would want to, you know, at least provide them an opportunity to to come into it. I've been fascinated over the many years I've been in this business to watch how frequently the family really does come into play. And it doesn't always have to be father, sons, mother, daughters. It is sometimes nephews or son-in-laws or, you know, whatever it is. But the family, I, I think because the independent space drives that feeling often of family and togetherness and united and team that the family dynamic of an actual business fits in really well. So we would welcome your nephew or your children whenever they're ready. We do need the next generation, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm afraid to hire my daughter because she told me the first thing she was going to do was fire me. So uh, 
<laughs> I love her. Uh, maybe I should hire her. Yeah, maybe you should. Yeah, she, she'd be she'd be tough. <laughs> <laughs> so we know, but since your kids are are athletes, I also know that you're an avid sports fan. USC football, the Chicago Bears, the Los Angeles Angels. What are you doing with yourself or what are you watching during these COVID times when you actually can't engage in that particular style of viewership? It's been an interesting five months, hasn't it, for all of us? And luckily, we have a little bit of baseball going on right now, but uh, my angels are not doing very well. So it's we're pretty much done at this point <laughs> after three weeks of the season or whatever it is. Thankfully, I'm also a Chicago Cubs fan, so I will have that going for me. Even though I live in the Los Angeles area, I lived in Chicago as a young young kid. That's where the Bears and Cubs things come from. But, you know, I've really used this time to to refocus, you know, on myself. I kind of went back through some of my, you know, my own life blueprinting, you know, where were the things that were important to me? You know, as much as I miss sports, as much as you know, anybody that enjoys them, you know, I've just really found myself to keep, to be occupied in other things, you know, so some things I really wanted to spend more time on, some of the technical aspects of photography, and I've gone through some kind of redesign on the house and doing some, you know, remodeling and some construction and so on. I've been kind of deep involved in those things, and I enjoy that, so it's kind of fun, fun for me. So those kind of cooking, you know, just different things. So I've kind of stayed occupied, even though I haven't left the house, you know, you know, like everybody else like here and there, but I've actually kind of enjoyed the time. It hasn't been, you know, stressful. We were, you know, up and running within a day when we closed out the offices and it's actually worked pretty smoothly. So this has been, this has been nice. I really haven't spent a lot of time watching TV. You know, I probably watched more TV before. So hopefully football comes back around. I think, I think my five months is, is probably pushing the end of it. So if we don't have an NFL season, I think I'm going to need to do something out here. They, the Pac-10 where USC plays closed down the season for the year. So as a lot of those conferences have, so we need the, <laughs> we need some NFL football. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I'm also a Bears fan. So I don't know, maybe we'll have to go back and just rewatch some old Bears games if we, if we don't get a new season. I don't know. Please don't make me do that. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a whole lot, there's a whole lot more bad than good in the, in the back, in the, in the history. So <laughs> we can go back to the Super Bowl shuffle era. That's, we can. that was good. Yeah. We can, we can relive. I like it. Jim McMahon and Refrigerator Perry. Exactly. I loved so let's wrap up with a question for you about what you would tell someone who is considering getting into our business. What's the best advice you would give them about how to approach it, especially, as you said, it's been a long five months. What parts of the business that you and I have known for 30 years are not going to be the same, are going to be different. Anything that you can think of that you've learned through this five months that we would tell someone who was considering getting into our business to keep in mind as they were growing into honorable professions such as yours. You know, I, I, it's been interesting. We've spent a lot of time as a firm talking about this because I, I don't think the way we do business is going to be is going to ever be go back to the way it was. It's forever changed. And it's not, it's not all, it's not bad. It's just, it's just different. And, you know, I tell in, in my, with my team, 
being around for a long time, even when I first started the industry, like we didn't even have email, <laughs> you know, that, that came out and it took a while for, you know, particularly older people to get more, you know, into email and, you know, then the internet and, you know, Facebook came out and, and, you know, that would be great. And younger folks would jump on it. And then, you know, the, the grandparents wouldn't do it until they realized that they wanted to be, you know, in their kid grandkids lives, they needed to be on Facebook. So they jump into Facebook, you know, now we fast forward here and, and now all the, you know, the, the online meeting stuff like Zoom, which we're, you know, using here and other ones have become very popular. And, and I've even seen, you know, the first month, you know, people are struggling with the cameras and how to get logged in and, you know, and to, to get on, I guess they still struggle a little bit, but most people have become comfortable with that. And, you know, one of the things we've started asking all our clients at, at every meeting is, you know, can you give us some feedback on this process? Like, how did the meeting go? How do you feel about the, you know, the Zoom and those kinds of things and trying to, you know, gauge that and most i would say a good 80 to 90 percent of the clients love it and you know there's they're saying you know this is great we don't know why you know we southern california traffic is notorious for being miserable and it, and it is and you know we have two offices so i split time between them and they're about 50 miles apart so unfortunately downtown la is right in the middle of of the two of them so it takes me forever but and it takes clients even a long time to come to our office. So they're loving this. And most of them are, you know, at least the ones up there are in LA are more involved in technology kind of thing because of the entertainment business. So they love it. And so that's going to change kind of what we do. But, you know, what I've really kind of learned is and through this window, and it's not, I wouldn't say learned, what I guess got reemphasized for me, you know, is that this is a, this is a time where, you know, people are going through a lot. And you read in, in the paper or online or on the news, you know, you hear about the level of depression and anxiety and stress, you know, that people are, are getting because they're just stuck in their homes, you know, and the older they get and the less social life they may have had, the worse that becomes, you know, so you have people that, you know, might be really great clients of ours, but maybe they're 70 or 80 if they don't have a really close family structure physically that people can come by and see them. I mean, they're alone. And so what I really kind of learned here is that this is one of those times where I've got to really be more connected to people, you know, and so more phone calls, more emails, you know, making sure our staff connects with them more because, you know, that's what we're here for. We're here to, you know, kind of help them get to go back to your passions. I mean, live, live some kind of a meaningful life and, you know, people are a little afraid and they're, you turn on the news and you know it's not really the news much anymore it's just more you know hype on both sides and you know it makes it very very difficult to you know really understand what's going on and so you know the connection and the communication is is huge so you know if i if i've got a you know somebody younger coming in it's you know you can be the best financial planner or the best investment person in the world you know but if you're not if you're not managing the relationships and you're not you know building those you know, the rest of it doesn't really matter because you're not going to have a lot of clients, you know, and that's the piece that that people so tie into. It's it's you. It's not all the technical stuff. Absolutely. Well said. Actually, couldn't be said better. So, Jim, thank you for sharing yourself, your passion, your commitment and representing Cambridge Stronger as well as you have. Hopefully our listeners have gotten some inspiration about our business and the fact that it's really all about the heart. You definitely are an inspiring part of Cambridge Stronger. So thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Amy. I appreciate being here. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Cambridge Stronger. Amy Weber and her guests enjoy sharing these insightful stories on why they became independent financial professionals, as well as client success stories. New episodes are available monthly in your favorite podcast venues. We are Cambridge Stronger.